You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. We're continuing our series on cover to cover, and we're looking at discovering the power of God's Word in our lives. Uh, Last week, I gave you an introduction. We talked about, if you missed it, you can get the podcast, but we talked about the importance of the authority of the Word of God and how the Bible, we believe, is the inspired Word uh, from heaven, from God Himself to us. The Bible is not man's best thoughts about God. It's not just a religious text to establish tradition and, 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 and theology, but it's actually God's self-revelation. God's saying, I want to make myself known to you, and I've given my word to do it. Uh, and, and some things we talked about last week, God, over 1,600 years, God inspired people to write the Bible. Men held the pen, but God wrote the book. And we saw there were over 40 different authors who wrote different letters and different, uh, different types of books that are all included in one book that we call the Holy Bible. And that book, it says of itself that it is inspired. God breathed. In fact, Hebrews, uh, this is chapter 4, verse 12. If we could put that on the screen. Uh, says this, that God's word is living and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword. So God's word is living and powerful. So the Bible is not just to inform us, but actually the purpose of the word of God is to do two things, to to transform us, to change our hearts, equip us for life, but also to draw us near to the author. God, who's the author of of the Bible, author of the word, is also the author of your life and mine. And so when we want to grow closer to God, we go closer to him, one through, of course, prayer and, and, and fasting and, 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 and spiritual disciplines, but also especially the word of God, allowing that to feed our lives. And we're going to dive into that today. In fact, today is just a disclaimer, is probably the most practical teaching side of this that we're going to have throughout the entire series. I hope to, one, inspire you, but also equip you. And so we have people who are brand new in their faith, uh, but we also, I, I know that there's been people who have been Christians for 20. 30 years, and, and maybe the Bible has been a part of building your faith, but, but just along the way, along the journey, it's, you've lost your passion for the Word, your hunger for the Word, and, and I believe that the only way we grow spiritually is through the bread of the Word of God. It's the only way we grow. It's the only way we experience true and lasting life and freedom in Jesus. God has given us His Word to equip us, and whether you're brand new in your faith or whether you've been a Christian for many years, I believe there's something here for you as we look at the idea and this is the message of taking notes. Get the most from God's word. Get the most from God's word. God's word's living. It's alive. It's not like any other book. You can come to it with fresh eyes every day and be impacted by it. But it's also powerful. It produces life-transforming results. One of my favorite testimonies in the history of our church is somebody who's a good friend of mine here who's been at our church for a few years and, and began to recently just really dive into the word like never before and grew has grown incredibly and seen his family impacted. And in fact, I, I just love that because you know we worship, we pray, we do all that. We, we serve together in the church, but there's nothing like feeding your life daily from the word of God. We've used this 90 days in our own family, this 90-day New Testament reading plan to actually take our kids every day, 
We, we have three kids. Uh, we sit them down and we actually just read together with them. And it's actually created great opportunities to connect, to grow, to, to listen, to hear God's word. And, and it's, it's helped us grow as a family in the things of God. Even we're pastors, we have a church, we've served God for years. And yet it's important to engage our families in a greater way with the word of God. So, so a few things I want you to understand is God gave us his word to impact our lives, not just to give us information. Here's what information does if it's not applied. Information just makes us religious or hard-hearted. We talked about the condition of the heart last week. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, We know that we all have knowledge. Any, anybody ever had that mindset or you've been around people that have? It's like, oh, I've heard that verse before. I've heard that message before. I've, heard, I've sung that song before. Been there, bought the t-shirt, you know. Uh, and, and yet, here's what knowledge does. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge can make me proud spiritually proud. In fact, the hardest people to grow and to experience real lasting life are the spiritually proud because we, we solidify our own dysfunction with religious language. Selah, that's a whole other sermon. Um, anyway, uh, that's why the toughest people Jesus had to reach were not the prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners. It was actually the Pharisees, the religious crowd, because what they knew kept them from seeing what they needed to know. And so here's what happens. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge isn't bad, but knowledge by itself is not enough. Knowledge of God's word can puff us up without applying it to our lives. But here's the thing. The key is love edifies. Love edifies. So when we read the Bible from a heart of love for God and receiving God's love for us, it changes everything. It changes the way we read. It changes our engagement, our desire, our hunger for the Bible. Now, let me just say, quick disclaimer, uh, studying the Bible is not posting a scripture uh, picture on Instagram. Now, is that important to share the word of God? Absolutely. You don't know who got encouraged by what you shared. Who got, there's a lot worse things we could be sharing on social media. But, but, you know, here's, here's what I want to understand. Studying the Bible is when you personally get into the Word of God, dig into the Word of God, make it apply in your own life, and grow in that. And so I want to give you some super practical things today, if you'll bear with me, of how to study the Bible. I think this is foundational and fundamental, but it will equip all of us together to grow together. First off, um, how, how do most people read the Bible? I think there's two ways people read the Bible. First, some people try to read it like any book. You start from the very first page. Uh, and that by itself isn't bad, but my experience as a pastor over 20 years is most people who try to read the Bible on their first attempt from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22 usually get stuck in Leviticus. Like they just get stuck. It's like you get to Leviticus, you're like, I am so confused. It's weird, it, not weird. It's just different. It's interesting that, 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 that people in, in Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, would actually start at six years old with the book of Leviticus. That was the first book you learned in Sunday school as a young Jewish uh, child. And, and yet, while that was the reason for that was because they were learning the holiness of God, being set apart for God, the, the, the practices of the law. But, but here's what I want you to see. When you start from one cover and just try to read it that way, again, if that's, you're doing that, I, I've done the one-year Bible, I think that's important. But sometimes we get discouraged along the way because we didn't start in a place that meets us in our faith where we're at. And, and I'm going to unpack the Old Testament in a moment. But here's what I want you to understand. The other way we try to read the Bible is Bible roulette. Anybody ever do Bible roulette? <laughs> Judgment shall come upon you today. Oh, okay. <laughs> Try again. Let's get under. 
some people, and I've been there too, I've been there myself. Now, there have been times where, man, I've opened up the Bible and it fell right to exactly what I needed. I, I understand that, but that's no way to study the Bible. That's no way to consistently be in the Bible. And so it's not, it's not like, I don't know, what was that in the 80s where they had like the magic eight ball thing where you shake the ball and, you know, what am I supposed to do? First of all, if you're letting that lead your life, that's a whole other thing. Um, but, but, but sometimes, honestly, we approach the Bible like that. And instead, we actually miss the richness and depth of the Word of God. So how to study the Bible. Number one, uh, super practical. Again, uh, choose a translation you can understand and read. And, and I know that's basic, but, but so many times people try to start in King James. I love the King James Bible. It was, a, it was not the first translation into English. But, but why do we need, first of all, why do we need translations? Because the Bible was originally written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, in a different language that has different uh, phraseology in the culture and time in which it existed. So, so years ago, I had a ministry uh, that was bilingual, and, and uh, I was ministering to a group of mostly non-English speakers, and my, I had a translator, and I forgot the difference between cultures and languages, and, and one day I'm, I'm sharing something to a group of non-English speakers from a very different culture, and as I shared this, here's what I said. I want to, instead of saying I want to let you know something, I said I want to put a bug in her ear. It makes sense to me, but, but when I said that and it was translated, they, I had some confused looks on their faces because they're wondering why in the world I wanted to place an insect in their head and uh, their ear. And, and, and so there was a mistranslation in that. So some things have to be translated. You know, the New Testament alone has four words for love in the Greek language. We, all, we have all of them translated as love, but all of them carry different ideas and meanings of what that is. So that's why some translations of the Bible are more phrasial, or phrases to communicate a thought from that time to this, and some of them are more word for word. Um, and it's important, I think, you know, I, I have both, I study both, but here's what I want you to understand. People ask me as a pastor, what's the best Bible translation? The one you'll read. If, if your kids got up this morning and said, verily, verily, I need some Cheerios, then maybe you should start with the King James Bible, and that's okay. I actually study the most from the New King James, carries a lot of the same beautiful language, but also, uh, but I have many others I love and value and preach from. Um, but here's why I want you to understand that is because when we study the Bible, the Bible translation that is going to help us the most is the one we actually read. Um, there's great, the Bible app is a tremendous resource. Um, I have, just practically speaking, anything on my phone. I don't like to start the day with any app, even if it's the Bible app, because I get sidetracked, squirrel. Like, like, I see that little red bubble. I got an iPhone that tells me how many emails I got in, and, and I'm like, somebody, it's an emergency. I need to check that email. And then I get on there, and it's, it's the prince of Nigeria wanting me to send $5,000 or, you know, <laughs> or it's spam. And, and so, so I, I get easily sidetracked. So I like to start with a paper Bible. I like to start with something that I can physically hold and read and study. There's, it's not wrong either way, but, but it's important we recognize that. Number two, and this goes along with it, is we need to choose a time, a place, and a plan to study. Choose a time, a place, and a plan to study. Most Christians, my experience has been, we all know we should and desire to, on some level, read the Bible as the Word of God. We desire to pray. But if we're honest, how many times do we effectively do those things on a daily basis? How many times do we really dig into the Word and study the Word for ourselves? And I think it comes down to just this practical step. Have we scheduled, chosen a time, a place, and a plan? That if you're going to make a date with your spouse, you're going to take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner, or go see a movie, you put it on the calendar. If you're going to spend time with God, it's not 
It's not irreligious or unspiritual to put it on your calendar. Like set time aside, because here's what I know, there are distractions in life. Uh, maybe you have kids, we're not gonna call them distractions, they're blessings, but we're gonna, maybe you have a busy schedule with work and you've gotta actually carve out time. Maybe you're not as busy as you used to be, but sometimes that's almost worse. Remember 2020 with COVID, we're like, I'm gonna read and grow, and then we watch 55 YouTube videos and binge watch Netflix. Are you with me? So there has to be a plan. There has to be an intentionality uh, and, and pick a time and a place. I can tell you where in, where in our house my wife studies the Bible. I can tell you where I like to read and where I like to go. Not that I can't read it anywhere, but I have a place. I have a, I have a time. I have, a, I, I have certain areas of the house that I like to go pray and, and study the word. It's okay because you just need to find what works for you to say, I'm going to set aside time with God. Uh, you need a workout plan to build your health. You need a diet plan to, uh, you know, increase the, the health of what you're taking in for food. But you also need a spiritual plan, a game plan to say, I want to grow in the word of God. I'm going to set aside a time and a place, reduce distractions, whatever they are. Sometimes I can't put my phone anywhere near me. Like I, I don't want to go digital until a certain time in the morning. And those are just practical steps. Um, same thing with the night. You want to schedule those things out. Find a time that works for you and just start. Just start to get in the Bible. A few things, pick a book. Pick a book in the Bible, study that out. Study a person, a topic. Uh, find a devotional, a reading plan to just help get you going. Uh, and of course, you can, of course, read large sections like the New Testament as we're doing as a church or the whole Bible. Uh, but I just recommend a couple things. If you're new in your faith, start in the Gospel of John. Tells a lot about Jesus and, and why he came and who he is uh, and his plan for to save us. If After that, read Ephesians, which just is a letter to the church to tell us what we have in Christ. But uh, the biggest thing of all, I already told you this last week, but I'll revisit it, is that we get to know the author. The biggest thing in studying the word is not just that we gain information, but we're transformed by it. And I believe the only way to be transformed is to know the one who gave it to us. And that's to grow in knowing God, knowing Jesus, grow in our relationship with him. Number three is we need to understand the context of what we're reading. This is important because uh, there's a quote Shakespeare wrote that said that even the devil can quote scripture for his purposes. <laughs> uh, Peter, I want to say it's in Second Peter. I might be wrong on that. No, it's First Peter. He was, uh, wrote to the church and he said, hey, um, I, I just want to clarify a few things because there's people who are taking the scriptures Paul wrote and twisting them. And it's important that we understand that people can take something that's true and twist it to their own intent or desires. And sometimes without even having, you know, the wrong motivation, we just try to always make something about us or about something in the short term, or we make, we read into the Bible what we wanted to say instead of allowing the word of God to speak for itself and understand what God gave it for in the first place. Um, so three questions to ask when you're reading something. First off, if you're studying the word, who wrote it? So who did God use to, and inspire to write that particular passage of scripture? Who did they write it to? Who did they write it to? Was it to a large group of people like the nation of Israel, which most of the New, or Old Testament, excuse me, was specifically targeted at the nation as a whole? Was it written to an individual like Paul wrote letters to Timothy and Titus and Philemon? He wrote specific letters to people. And, and, and so what was the purpose? And, and this is the key. What was the purpose in this? What was the writer, and, and more importantly, was God himself intending this 
passage, this scripture, this verse, this chapter, or this book to communicate? Is this a message to Israel concerning something in their time? Was it a message to Timothy as a pastor leading the church? Well, here's what I know. In all of that, there is something in every page of scripture for me and for you. But when we start with us, we miss the larger picture. When we start with God and his word and start with the story for which it was written and intended, then we actually discover something far richer and far more beautiful and far more life transformational. The Bible is actually a book of covenants. Why is it divided between Old and New Testament? I've already mentioned that, and I know it sounds simple, but, but, but why is it Old Testament? Testament is not a word we use very often except your last will and testament. But, but the way we take it as the Bible is the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, what came before Jesus arrived on the scene, died on the cross, and gave his life for our sins. The New Testament is what included that first part of that story leading through the early church and ultimately into Revelation, which was written to seven churches in Asia Minor and concerned prophecy of the future. So, but here's what I'm, I'm telling you all that because the Old Testament contained a series of covenants. From the very first book, God initiated covenants. Well, what's a covenant? Uh, covenants are more than contracts and more than just promises, the only covenant generally we still have today, and even that's becoming increasingly devalued in our society, is the covenant of marriage. Marriage is a covenant between two people, and it's based on a promise, but it's more than a contract. It's more than a piece of paper that's easily discarded and shredded, or at least it's not meant to be, but, but a covenant is something where one person joins with another and pledges their life and all that they have and brings that to the table. In fact, covenants were blood covenants. In ancient times, like Abraham's day, two people, one nation or one neighbor would join the other one. They'd say, I'm bringing all that I have to the table. We will make a covenant. They would have a sacrifice. They'd have a meal. And they would say, we will pledge our lives and our resources to come to your aid. If you're in trouble, you just call and I'm there. I'm there all in. And the other person would do the same. And they would establish a covenant relationship. Well, the Bible is God not only introducing the idea of covenant, but saying, I have come to make a covenant with mankind, to make a covenant with a people. The Old Testament tells the story of a people, Israel, God's people that he chose and selected and handpicked out of all the nations of the world to bring about the fulfillment of the messianic plan in bringing Jesus. Now, I tell you all of that because covenant is about relationship. The Bible is about relationship. And if you miss relationship, you miss the point in context of the Bible. Covenant is what it's about. God himself made a covenant with us. And it was a covenant ratified, sealed in blood, his own. As Jesus died on the cross, took our sin, and paid the price. In fact, the whole Bible is ultimately about one person, Jesus. It's about a person. Luke 24, 27, beginning at Moses, talking about the beginning of the Bible, first five books, the Torah, and then all the prophets, all the Old Testament, Jesus begins to explain or expound to his disciples all the scriptures, things concerning himself. So all of that contained the story and revealed who Jesus is to us. That's important. Why do we need context? Because here's what uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. To rightly divide means to understand how does this apply in my life? 
Now, do we have all that figured out right away? Absolutely not. I'm still growing in that as a pastor preaching the Bible for 20 years. That's why we have each other, and most importantly, we have a relationship with the author. But here's the thing. You can rightly divide the word, and you can wrongly divide the word. To rightly divide the word is to apply it in the way that God intended. To wrongly divide is to pick and choose the parts I like and don't like. Okay. It's to major in minors. Things that are important, but they're not the most important. And to minor in majors, to miss the point for which the Bible was given. To know God, to be set free from our sin, and to experience eternal life through Christ. We need to experience that and recognize that. So, so we can't take the parts we don't like and, and, and vice versa. Psalm 119, 160 says the entirety of your word is truth. Now, if there's a specific instruction, like for example, Joshua, go march around Jericho. That's not a command for you and me, but it teaches a principle that we are commanded to walk in. That's faith. Are you with me? So from cover to cover, there's something applicable for every single one of us, but we need to rightly apply that and understand it and begin to, to, to know it. And that we start with knowing the context. Also, this is why we have to interpret the Bible. Uh, so there's a, you can take one verse and find a thousand opinions on it. And, and some of them are good. <laughs> um, in fact, it's why, actually, we have a lot of different denominations, many times carrying the same majors and important things, but disagreeing on what would be considered minor things. Now, in some cases, there are disagreements on major. You know, I always start with, are we on Team Jesus? <laughs> And so I, I, yesterday, I was texting friends of mine who are pastors of very different churches and different denominations, and they're all on Team Jesus. They love Jesus. They love the Bible. They preach the Bible. There's going to be people in heaven because of what they're sharing. Come on. They're on Team Jesus. Now, we have some minors that we disagree with, but I, they're, I, they're family. And so let's remember that before we, like, split hairs over the minors. If we're on Team Jesus, we can reach our city. There's, there's, there's going to be some differences. In fact, uh, let me just give you something to help illustrate this um, by telling you how many Christians it takes to screw in a light bulb. First, how many charismatics does it take to screw in a light bulb? It actually only takes one because hands are already in the air. Come on, somebody. <laughs> how many Pentecostals does it take? Ten. One to change the light bulb and nine to bind the spirit of darkness. How many Presbyterians? None. Because lights go on and off at predestined times. If I offend anybody, I'm not worried about it. Okay, anyway. Um, how, how many Roman Catholics does it take to, to screw in a light bulb? None, because it's just candles only. How many Baptists does it take? Well, at least 15. One to change the light bulb. And three committees to approve the change to decide who brings a potato salad and fried chicken. How many, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Well, none, because Lutherans don't believe in change. <laughs> That's dedicated to my friend who's a Lutheran pastor. I'll send that to him. Uh, and the last one I'll give you is this. Uh, how, many, <laughs> how many Amish does it take to screw in a light bulb? What's a light bulb? So, so here's, here's what happens. Can you hand me my glasses up front, Jenna? Jenna's praying for me right now that I won't get a barrage of emails afterward. And again, when you're on Team Jesus, we're all family. Um, 
So I've, I've got these readers because it's become a necessity. And uh, I, I've increasingly, I know I've become my dad when I had to get readers and I check the menu. I read the menu at restaurants with my flashlight on my phone. I've crossed a threshold from which there's no return. Uh, and, and here's what happens when I start reading, having readers because I have these all around my house. Um, in fact, right now I can tell they're very smudged. They, what I see is affected by the filter that I'm looking through. And so many times we can approach something and interpret something, read into something because of the lens through which we're looking through. Here's how the Bible puts it. The Bible actually says that there's a veil that becomes like a filter over our heart. Second Corinthians 3.14. Uh, and this is actually Paul, who's a Jew, believer in Jesus, writing about those who are his brethren who have not accepted Jesus yet. And he says there's, their minds are actually blinded right now. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. It acts like a filter. And it's actually keeping them from seeing what they need to see. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. When, when all of us see through a filter. We see the filter of our experience, our traditions, what we've been taught, what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've said, what we've really believed and known. The problem is when what we see, the filter, has been shaped by things that are contrary to the word or actually change the way we approach the Bible. So maybe the lens we look through is the lens of our culture. Maybe it's the lens of our family history. Maybe it's the lens of our hurt, our, our betrayal, our, our, our loss of relationship. Even in the church where people have been hurt by other Christians and pastors and churches and all these experiences. And, 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 and then when we approach the Bible, we're looking through a lens of hurt. And instead of seeing a loving God, we see a God who's out to get us. And we look at the Bible through a lens. Here's what we need to do. We need to have no filter. And the only way to have no veil, no filter, instead, is not to try to correct it ourselves. If I take my thumb and rub out the smudges on my glasses, I'll just make it worse. We need something that's clean outside of us. And, and, and that's why we need the word of God to be the barometer, to be the plumb line, to be the test, and to be what actually changes the way we think. Here's what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. Therefore, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know and approve what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? I know most Christians want the good will of God. Most of us want God's perfect will for our lives. When we know he's good, we say we want it. But how do we recognize it? How do we know if something in our life, a, a person in our life even, an influence in our life is healthy or not healthy, is true or not true? How do we know if a, a thought we have that we've believed and held on to and always heard from others is actually right? Maybe we've gotten our identity from the wrong source. We've thought about ourselves contrary to what God thinks about us. To see the good, perfect, pleasing will of God, all of that, we can't allow the world to create a veil over our hearts to keep us from seeing God. We actually have the word of God. And here's what, remember what Corinthians said, we turn to the Lord. When we turn to the author and surrender and trust and we say, God, I don't know, have it all figured out. I don't see the whole picture right now, but would you help me to see? Would you help me to know? Would you help me to dig into the word of God? Do you know that the Bible, we, have, we, we pray very, sometimes, um, I, I don't want to offend anybody else, um, sometimes we pray very vague prayers. And we do that not because of 
trust, but because of fear of what might not happen. We throw out prayers like this, and this is not an invalid prayer, to be honest, but it's what comes behind it. Because sometimes we go, God, I trust you. I don't know what to do next, so I'm going to trust your will. I surrender, not my will, but yours. But sometimes we pray very vague prayers like, well, God, if it's your will, you'll do it. (laughs) And, And can I just tell you how we know the will of God? We got the word. How do I know if he provides? I've got the word. How do I know if he heals? How do I know if he sets free? How do, if he know, how do I know if when I call on him, he answers, I have this? And it establishes a confidence in our prayer life that allows us to see that good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. Do you know that our phones are built on an operating system? If you have a smartphone, if you have a computer, every Computer, every phone, smartphone, has an operating system. There's, uh, there's Apple ones. There's Android ones. We'll pray for you if you have an Android. Um, we, there, there's, there, Windows has their own operating system, all of that. And an operating system forms the foundation that all other software is built on. It affects everything else. And generally, I'm sure there's exceptions. Somebody smarter than me in the room could tell me. But some operating systems aren't compatible with others. And so you have to have the right operating system and the right thing. What is this verse telling us? Your mind and your soul run in an operating system designed by God. You were created by God for the perfect good will of God. And the only operating system, our lives, our minds, our families, our relationships, our our faith were designed to run on was the operating system of the word of God. To have that as a foundation, that's why we need to do this. We need to renew our mind. We've got to remove the old programming, so to speak, the old stuff that's actually keeping us from life. So going back to the practical steps, number four, I've got two more. Number four is read slowly. Don't read for the sake of accomplishing. I just read through the whole Bible in a year. That's, that's good. You'll get a badge. But read for the sake of study, for growth. Sometimes I've camped on one verse for like weeks. But whatever it is, read it slowly, just very practically, take notes. Some of us learn better by writing things out. Most of us do. Ask questions. And most importantly, dig deeper. Dig deeper in what you're reading, what you're studying, what you're taking time to invest your life in, in the word of God. And five brings all that together to bring us to the author is that as we're studying, as we're reading the Bible, pray for God to speak to you and apply what he shows you. The fact that we call the Bible the word of God by itself is an indication he's a God who likes to communicate. He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us into all truth, to, 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 to speak to our hearts, to guide our lives. But so many times as Christians, we just look at that, and if we're not careful, all the veils actually keep us from hearing what God wants to say and through the Holy Spirit. So we need to start with the Bible, the objective, authoritative word of God, which helps us, one, to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit, but also to recognize the lies we've believed. And we, here's the relationship piece. While we're studying the Bible, ask God. I, I did that 20 years, whatever it was, 20 years ago, when I got down on my knees by my bedside and cried out to Jesus after a radical God moment in my life. And I came to a place of surrender to the end of myself and said, God, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I'm not going to put it off anymore. I need you now. And, and, and that was the beginning of 
what God would do over the next 20 years of my life. But the next thing I knew to do is, God, you gave me your word. I didn't even know the value yet of being in a church and, and growing with others and worshiping together. And how, I didn't know how to pray, any of those things. The only prayer I knew was, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to take, whatever that prayer is, it's creepy. Um, but, but I knew that God wrote the book. I know he was the author. And I said, God, I don't understand it all. I don't have it all figured out. But would you help me? Just that sincere prayer, instead of being an expert, I was a student, and I'm still come to God's word and say, God, I need you to teach me. I need you to show me. Ezra 7.10, Ezra did four things. Ezra prepared his heart. Last week we talked about the four conditions of the heart that keep us from, three of them keep us from growth, growth in our life and the word of God growing in our lives. But Ezra prepares his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Before you read your Bible, even just take a moment to pray. Ask God to help you. Ask God to lead you. Uh, he, he prepares his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach student statutes and ordinances in Israel. So the first thing he does is prepare his heart. The second is he seeks, then he does it. He applies it and he teaches. Lastly, uh, if we get that out of order, here's what happens. We become very judgmental of others. So I know a lot of new believers even sometimes will read something and go, oh man, that's amazing. I can think of 45 people that need this. And we're looking at a lot of specks in other people's eyes instead of recognizing we got a big old plank God wants to deal with in ours. Jesus talked about that, by the way. If we go first to teaching others before we've had a chance to allow it to penetrate our own heart, we'll just become more religious. We'll become more critical. That's why we start. The word of God is a sword, but it's meant to pierce my heart before it hacks off somebody else's ear. That's an illustration, by the way. Ezra did this. He prepared his heart to seek. That word seek is really powerful. We're going to put that on the screen. Um, We'll just go through this briefly for time. Uh, it's the Hebrew word derash that means to seek after and to study. So it's, it's something different than just surface level reading. It also means to ask. Part of the process of seeking is to say, God, I need you. God, show me. God, teach me. God, help me. And you walk with the author as you're studying. And as you're filling your life with the word of God, here's what it does. It also awakens your faith to pray bold, faith-filled prayers. Jesus said in John 15 that, that here's what it is when you're a disciple you abide in Jesus, in a relationship with him, close to Jesus, and his word abides in you. And he says, if you do that, you'll pray and what you desire will be done. In other words, the key to answered prayer is close relationship with Jesus and getting the word of God in your heart. You know what that does? Getting God's word in my heart changes me. And it causes, it changes my desires so that now I'm asking for things more than just my immediate needs. There's nothing wrong with that. I used to just pray real super spiritual prayers like, God, give me a good parking spot. Now, when it's snowing outside, that's not a bad prayer. But what if we started asking for our lost sons and daughters to come home? What if we started asking for our city to be saved, for addiction to be broken, for nations to be one to Jesus? And ask for the parking spot. As we get the word of God in us, it begins to transform us and equip us and empower us. It also means to require. In other words, I need this more than I need something lesser. I need God's word to feed me. I require it out of necessity. Job said, I desire your words more than my necessary food. To frequent, it's not just a, a, day, a, a one day thing, but something I go back to continuously. That's what it means to seek to frequently approach this. It also means to follow for pursuit because the goal of the Bible is actually to know the author of the Bible, not just to know the Bible. 
It's to worship. When Christians lose their awe, they lose their worship. When we get used to God and the majesty of God, we get cold in our worship. To seek also means to allow yourself to be inquired of by God. In other words, the Bible is not just a book you read, but it's actually a book that reads you. It begins to deal with your own heart. God changed my attitude, still is changing my attitude sometimes through his word. Changes the way I treat people, the way I approach life, the way I trust, all of that. The last one's to tread. That's, that's an unusual one until we recognize that God actually gives us his word as a weapon. Oh, it's a weapon. Why? Because the weapon of the enemy is lies. And God's word is a sword that breaks down and dismantles lies that have kept us from freedom. Jesus said, if you abide in his word, you'll know what's true. And that truth will make you free. We, we have a thing in our culture. Well, it's my truth. It's your truth. That's her truth. That's his truth. If my car breaks down and I go to the mechanic and they say, this is what you need to do to fix it. It doesn't help if I just go, well, that's just not my truth. <laughs> that's not my truth. You have an engine problem. That's not my truth. You know what I'm going to have? My truth and a broke car. Do you think it's any less real when it comes to your spiritual life and your eternity? The things that really matter in the long run? Do you know what the enemy does? He brings a lie and he tries to disconnect you from the word. You start getting into the Bible, watch those phone calls come in. Watch those distractions start to happen because the enemy knows that if he can keep you from this, he can disconnect you from one of the greatest weapons heaven ever gave you because this dismantles lies. This destroys strongholds. This transforms families. This sets us free. And it's a sword that's meant to be fought with when you start getting in the word and you go, oh, that's what God's will is. And you take that word and you don't just study it in your devotional, but you take it as a sword in prayer. And you say, I'm fighting for my family because of the promise of God. I'm fighting for my future because of the promise of God. I know condemnation's coming, but here's what I know. God forgave me and there's therefore now no condemnation who is in Christ Jesus. I have a word from God, from his Bible, from the Bible that tells me what's true. And it's meant to be a sword to confront and fight those lies with. So we need to recognize what God gave us his word for. Last passage I want to give you is in Luke 4. Last two passages, Luke 4, and I want to go to what it, it, it quotes. But uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus answered the devil, actually. And if you remember that series I preached, I want to say it was October, where we talked about Jesus overcoming temptation in the wilderness. September, October. We talked about this story. And the devil comes to tempt Jesus, and he actually, in one case, actually quotes from the Bible, because the devil can twist things too. But Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, what feeds your life is not just your physical food. Now, your body requires food. Some of you are about to get hungry right now. Your body requires food. When you, the Bible has 40-day fasts in it, which are the, usually the, the longest fasts. Uh, they are the longest fasts. Anything after 40 days, if you've ever done something that long, you, you actually feel good. It's, it's almost a contradiction. Like, you feel pretty good. But then you get past that, and you're like, I could go a couple more days. Anything past 40 days, your body starts shutting down. In fact, that's what your, your human body, your physical body, will deteriorate and even die if you don't get food in it at some point. Some of us, we skip one meal. I'm dying, I need food. 
And here's, here's what this verse refers to. It's actually a quote from Deuteronomy 8.3. God humbled you and allowed you to hunger. Oh, that just seems so mean. Why would God, this is a message from God to Israel. As they came out of Egypt and came through the desert and they had no food. And, and what does it say? God humbled them and allowed them to hunger. Do you know why sometimes we're allowed to hunger in a situation in our soul? Is because we've been looking in the wrong place to feed it. We've been looking to a relationship, a person, a job, an opportunity, a house, a car, income, whatever it is, accolades, affirmation on social media. We've been looking to anything and everything, but the only thing that will ever feed your soul that lasts is the word of God. If I just eat junk food all the time, I'm going to have physical disease. If I just have spiritual junk food filling my soul all the time, I'm going to have spiritual disease. Why do we... Generally, especially in January, New Year's resolutions, why are we concerned with what we intake into our physical body but not into our spirit, not into our soul, not into our mind? He humbled you and allowed you to hunger, but he also fed you. And here's what he did. He fed them with manna, which they did not know what it was, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you know what happens when you're hungry enough? You're not picky. You'll eat anything. If you're starving, you'll eat anything. And the problem is our souls are starving and we're feeding on anything and everything that the world serves us. That's why we're not hungry for the, the you know what manna was? It was bread from heaven. Every day Israel would walk out of their tents and there was bread. They actually, manna means, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. They just called it manna. I think it was Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I, that's my opinion. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Uh, and, 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 and they would go out every day, and they'd have to gather. And they actually had a personal responsibility. Jason, if you want to get ready. They had a personal responsibility for every household. Someone had to gather manna, or they starved. But there was every single day enough and more than enough to feed them and their entire households. The only day it didn't have manna from heaven was actually just before the Sabbath. God would give them double because they were to do no work. They were to try to, they were produce nothing, none of that. They were to rest. And so they gather the manna. Some people out of fear held on to the manna and saved it instead of consuming it. And it grew stale and old and bred worms. Was disgusting. And, and what was the point? God was letting him know, I've got bread for today. I've got bread for tomorrow. I've got bread for the next day. And I will take care of you each and every day. But your responsibility as the people of God is to go gather the bread. Do you know what that tells me spiritually? For all of us as Christians, as believers, the word of God is bread from heaven that feeds our life, feeds our soul. And we need more than one meal a week. I need more than one meal a week. I'm thankful when we can gather as a church and get in the word of God together. I love it. I would miss it for anything. But I'm telling you, one meal is not enough. Try eating one meal a week and see how weak you become in the long run. But all of us have access to this tremendous life-giving word. And I've given you a bunch of practicals today to just try to help you navigate how to get the most out of the Bible. Because God wants to feed you. But most importantly, he wants you to know him and recognize that he's the source. And he's faithful to provide every single day what you and I need. Would you stand to your feet? 
We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.